living a holy life of worship. Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the sermon of Sunday, July 11th, 2021 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. God the Creator is above His creation and so is worthy of worship by His creatures. When God created the world, He did so to enter into relationship with His creatures. This has never changed. Reverend David Pelegi reminds us that it is only in holiness that we can draw near to God. Holiness is not only refraining from evil, but it is also pursuing good. Right worship includes living a generous and moral life so we can reflect to the world the goodness of God. The first reading for today is from 2 Samuel 6, 1-5 and 12-19. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Avinadav, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Avinadav, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it, and Achio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Avedadom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Avidadom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from the book of Psalms, chapter 24, of David. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. For he founded on the seas, and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. 
This is the word of the Lord. Our third reading is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Amen. I'm, I'm convinced that sermons are overrated. Um, they're important. It's important to proclaim God's word and to teach God's truth. Uh, but uh, sometimes we expect sermons to do things that they really were never intended to do. Yes. And... Um, Discipleship doesn't always happen, or transformation doesn't always happen when someone stands at the front and harangues a congregation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that um, you indeed would continue to work in the lives of each one of us, continue to transform us into the image, the dear image, the holy image of your Son, Jesus And we pray that um, our hearts will receive your word. And we ask that um, you will speak to each one of us. And as we heard a warning earlier in the service, we pray that as you speak, we will not uh, ignore your voice or refuse to listen to what you have to say to us. Lord, Make us uh, willing and able to hear and give us grace to do those things that you ask us to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So I'd like to um, depart from tradition, our tradition. Praise the Lord for that. We're not enslaved to speaking about the gospel passage every week. I'd like to speak about the psalm, Psalm 24. Um, Those of you who come from a um, a liturgical Christian tradition, you know that this psalm is uh, important uh, for us uh, liturgically at Easter, uh, also on Ascension Day, and it's easy to see why. Um, Some of us are familiar with worship songs Uh, written from this passage, but many of us are not exactly, you might say, familiar with the psalm. We know Psalm 23 better 
Yes, Psalm 23 is the um, Psalm 23 is the, the psalm we know it for funerals and and uh, different uh, occasions in our lives when we're in trouble or distress, we turn to this psalm, and uh, it is about a God who provides in the most difficult circumstances who protects, and who's a gracious host. And I trust, yes, that most of us have had some experience with this God. Yes, the God who cares for us and provides for us and indeed protects us. Psalm 24 is also about God. Uh, But you might say it adds, yes, some more revelation Because in this psalm, we meet God not only as a provider and a protector, but we meet God as creator and king. And we are instructed, yes, or we're told or shown what our response should be to God the creator and God the king. And that response is worship. Yes, although perhaps not worship as uh, we understand it. In the last few years, you know, we've, we've had the worship revolution with Hillsong and 24-7 praise and worship. And I don't in the slightest way mean to be critical of any of that. I think it's, uh, I think it's wonderful. But perhaps it sometimes can distort, yes, can distort our understanding of... Uh, of worship, and um, we need to listen to this psalm or take to heart what this psalm is teaching us uh, as a way to um, perhaps come to a better understanding of of what God requires for us to enter into his presence. And um, beautifully enough, those those folks probably somewhere in a back room somewhere who arrange these lectionary readings um, are reading from uh, Samuel. Second Samuel is also about worship. And I think that we can tie uh, the first two readings uh, in a beautiful way, I hope, into the third, um, into the third uh, reading. Yes. So worship um, is... For us, surely, it's, uh, for many of us, it's about gratitude. It's about being joyful. Uh, many of us have rediscovered that worship involves uh, uh, showing joy and gratitude with all of our emotions, not just doing so in, in an intellectual way. Um, but Psalm 24, yes, again, as I said earlier, should take us a little bit deeper. And the psalm is, it is a liturgical psalm. It is a psalm that pilgrims would sing, yes, on their way into the temple. Some people think it was actually, it actually reflects what we read about this earlier in 2 Samuel. The ark coming in, uh, the ark coming into Jerusalem or the building of the temple, the building of the temple itself. But uh, surely it's something that is uh, chanted or declared. Maybe we'll call it a confession. Yes, it's a confession. Um, And that it's done enthusiastically. And it's also done responsibly. Meaning people go back and forth uh, with uh, with the different verses. And it begins by saying, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. And so if we think this is about worship and even temple worship, you know, the question is, wait a minute, this is introducing God as a creator. And you might ask, well, what does that have to do with anything? Or what does that have to do with the temple? And time does not allow, Uh, but if we did have a little bit of time, 
we really could unpack, yes, uh, an essential truth that we find in the Hebrew Bible. Yes, that the connection between the temple and the ark, and sorry, between the temple, uh, sorry, between creation, God creating the world, and um, the Ark of the Covenant, later the temple itself, that there's this very, uh, very strong connection that Bible scholars, Jews and Christians, have, uh, seen, uh, have seen for quite some time. And many go as far as saying that creation is only completed, the work of creation is only completed, yes, when the temple, for, when the tabernacle is built, and then the, later the temple itself, yeah? And for God to create, yeah, what's the context of the creation? Does God create out of nothing? Maybe he does ultimately, right? But God the creator, yes, first has to subdue, you might say, or overcome what we call the forces of chaos. And those forces of um, chaos, as we read about in Genesis 1.1, the tohu vevohu, yes, the complete, uh, you might say, uh, disorder or the condition of disorder that exists before God's creation, yes. Or you, or you maybe think of it as the, the dark, watery state of uh, of creation before God begins uh, begins His work, and that is reflected. Yes, that's reflected in the opening. It says, "For He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters." And so, what is what this tells us is that God, the Creator, right, is unique in that he's a God who's not part of the creation. He's above the creation. All gods and goddesses and all powers and principalities and every ideology, yes, or everything that claims for itself divinity are all part of the creation or all subject to the creation. Yes, it's the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's above the creation, who's distinct from the creation, who controls the creation and has power over it. None of the other idols, none of the other ideologies, whatever they may be, yes, has the same power. Has the same power. And so... um, God is in this instance, uh, God in this, uh, in this psalm, he's praised. He's praised for being powerful. And because creation is good, he's not only, he not only receives praise for his power, yeah, his otherness, but also because of his goodness, right? And when we talk about God who is holy, we're talking about a God who is other, who's completely different than not only ourselves as human beings, but who's completely different than, uh, than all of the, anything else in the universe. And what makes him different is his uniqueness, his power, his goodness. Yes, his goodness. And... the connection between creation and the temple is simply this, that the Garden of Eden was the first temple. Yes. And God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And it's in that temple context that we see God's intention for creation. If someone had to ask you, well, why are we here? Or why did God do any of this? Yes, why does God create? Why did he, 
Why does he need human beings? After all, in the Christian understanding, he already lives in a community. Yes, there's, he lives with the Son and the Spirit. It's not that God's lonely. It's not that God needs pets. Yes, you know, something to occupy his time with. And st- rather, God, because as an expression of love, love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, creates and wants to share that love, yes, with others. And it's always been God's intention, if we read Genesis seriously, he wants to bless us, he wants to bless the creation, and he wants to enter into relationship with us. And so where does that first happen? In the temple, the temple called Eden. Yes, and God's intentions don't change. Even when Adam and Eve sin, we somehow have come in maybe a certain theology, Protestant theology, Catholic theology, somehow that all changes. But perhaps maybe some of us haven't noticed that a few chapters later, when God calls Abraham, what's the context in which God calls Abraham? He calls Abraham in order to bless him and in order to be a blessing to others. And ultimately, not in chapter 12, but in chapter 18 of Genesis, we learn that Abraham's calling is somehow connected with uh, presenting or to, or to showing forth, or yes, the, the God, showing forth God to the nations of the world or to the, to the peoples of the world. Again, God's desire, yes, God's desire is for our good and our well-being. He desires to bless and desires to come into, that and come into a relationship with us. Also in the process, he enters into partnership with us, does he not? Adam and Eve are told, yes, work in this garden. Yes, safeguard this garden. By the way, in Hebrew language, there's language here that makes it sound like Adam and Eve have a priestly role. They are priests in this. They are priests in this um, temple. And even after the, our after sin and death enter into the world, yes, God God uh, establishes the tabernacle, or has Moses build the tabernacle? Yes, has it slightly different with different, different uh, stipulations and different rules, but still, nonetheless, right? It's a place to bring blessing, and it's a place where the people of Israel—it's uh, the—it's the thing that would facilitate this relationship. Of course, the blessing and the relationship is dependent, is it not, on? Um, is dependent on obedience. So here we have a holy God, yes, who wants yeah, blessing for his people, who wants to enter into relationship. And the response to God the Creator, the Holy One of Israel, the response is one of worship, and one of holy worship. Remember the psalmist says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And so what does that mean, or what does that look like? Because the psalm will tell us uh, in just a moment. But there's, um, yeah, there's two kinds of, uh, you might say, holy stipulations. There's ritual holiness. Yes, Israel was called, the people of Israel, they're called upon they're called upon God, they're called by God to do certain things, such as to eat certain foods or to only approach the, the Ark of the Covenant in a certain way or to make sure that, um, that, that death in no way clings to them. And sometimes, you know, we, uh, especially as Protestants, we think, oh, all those rules and regulations, legalism, Gosh, it's a good thing. 
And it's true, while on one hand, we, yes, or Gentiles, are not obligated by these rules and regulations, ritual immersion, eating kosher food, circumcision, can do them if we wish, but they're not a covenantal obligation upon us. They do teach us important things, and we would be very foolish, you know, to, to just sweep them away without careful consideration. Let me just r- remind you of two things, all right? One, these, so- these rituals protect us. Yes, there's a certain protection f- from God's holiness. Now, when we had the first reading, we, uh, the, the people who somehow, sometimes put this lectionary together think that we have tender ears. And they left out the story of Uzzah, who steadied the ark. And as Uzzah steadied the ark, he got zapped. He died. And um, all he was trying to do was to keep it, perhaps, from falling off the cart. And consequently, yes, King David is angry at the Lord. And I must say that I don't always sympathize with King David, but I, 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 I do in this case. You know, God, how is this fair? How is this fair? This guy had good intentions, right? But still he violated something really important. And all of this points to, yes, all of these so-called ritual rules, all of these were to protect the people of Israel from God's holiness. Because holiness is dangerous, whether you're Jewish or Christian. And perhaps we have forgotten that. Yes, that God is not a God to be trifled with. He's not a God that we can go to him, you know, and say, hey, rubber stamp my agenda. Hey, rubber stamp my culture. Okay. Yeah, God is good. God brings blessing and life. God brings empowerment. Yes, but God is also dangerous. And he's not to be taken for granted. Now you say, oh, that's just the Old Testament. Can I remind you of the story in the book of Acts of Annas and Sapphira? Also, yes, taking... taking the holiness of God for for granted. Or may I remind you what Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians. Don't come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner because otherwise some of you are what? Sick. And some of you have fallen, fallen asleep. That's... An important, understanding of, an important understanding of holiness. Secondly, and we could talk about ritual all night, secondly, the, the fact that we approach God, at least in the Hebrew Bible, that God was approachable in a certain way, and those certain ways might, would be safe. You would bring a sacrifice and bring a sacrifice according to, uh, to what was stipulated in the biblical text. Yes, means that God is not a God of chaos and that God is not a God who's capricious, you know, that he might be, you know, angry one day and, you know, the next day he might accept it or, or it, it shows that there is, again, yes, this chaos that existed in, that, that existed in the universe, that God conquers in part of creation because the forces of chaos are still with us. Yes, that God stands against, yes, and his revelation, he stands against that kind of chaos. And the chaos could be um, spiritual. Yes, it could be just kind of physical chaos, the chaos of nature. But as we'll see in a minute, it's also something very moral about it as well. Now, the God, say one other thing about the God of the Bible before we look go a little bit further this psalm, because it's important to realize. In all ancient religions, and even in modern religions to this day, 
yeah, and in the, in the, even in the age of Google and Facebook, there you have ritual. Yes, and all the gods, and especially in the ancient world, and maybe even the false gods of our day and age, they demand some kind of ritual. Like you press like, you know, on your Facebook, and you do it uh, so many times. Yes, or you, you know, have to watch the latest YouTube video that's gone viral. Whatever it may be, yeah, ritual is involved of some kind or another. But is what's what's very what's distinctive about the God of Psalm 24, the God who's creator and king. He does demand ritual, and ritual has its place. But no God in the ancient world, and maybe even no false God today, says to its adherents, hey, I want you to be like me. I want you to do what I do. I expect you to be moral or ethical or righteous. Worship in the ancient world was just, again, just about doing the ritual and doing it in the right way. Bringing Jupiter a sacrifice. Yes, bringing a sacrifice to Athena. Making a sacrifice in the right way to the Roman emperor. Yes, the Roman emperors eventually understood themselves to be gods. They didn't demand, yes, they didn't demand that their, their adherents be righteous. Yes, be moral. And the God of Israel says, I am holy and be holy like me. Be holy like I am. And so this God who creates, this God, he then goes on to say the following, or their psalm goes on to say the following. He says, Who's the, the, and the pilgrims are probably asking this question, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Yes. Hey, this is about worship. Who can stand in his holy place? Yeah, I'll raise my hands. I'll have the right music. I'll um, sing the right choruses. I'll have a prophetic word. Yeah. Many things that we associate with worship. Maybe we'll have a, use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right? How can we enter into the Lord's presence? Yes? What gives us that right to come into the Lord's presence? And here it doesn't emphasize ritual. Again, it does in other places. But here it emphasizes something else. It, 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 um, it talks about having clean hands and a pure heart. Right? Having a certain innocence and having, the, having a certain purity of motives. It says, he, who does not, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol, yes, or swear by what is false. So, worship is not just setting time aside to praise the Lord, to tell the Lord that he's wonderful. Yes, worship is about how we live and actually how we behave or treat other people, right? That's deeply connected with worship because that's holiness. And God being a God of holiness, yes, we have to worship him in holiness. Or it's only in holiness, let's put it like this, that we can come really close to the Lord. What does the book of Hebrews say? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Oh, we think, okay, that's on judgment day. No, it's for today, and it's for now, right? And as we'll see in a minute, holiness isn't just about my personal sins and things I shouldn't do, like get drunk or be immoral, yes, or watch porn or, you know, go to Las Vegas and play slot machines. No, I'm not in any way... God forbid, com uh, commending this. But sometimes our view of holiness is sometimes very small. We can say, okay, I'm going to stop watching pornography, which, by the way, is a horrible scourge, yes, in the world today. And again, I don't want to minimize that because it's addicted. It's enslaved millions and millions of people. 
But if we can say, I don't do any of those things, yet we're gossiping or stabbing people in the back, yes, or not supporting or helping our brothers and sisters in a time of need, yeah, this is also yeah, a lack of holiness, right? Holiness is restraining ourselves, being restrained from evil, not engaging in evil, yes, in any way. But it's also pursuing good, right? What makes the God of Israel holy is in part his goodness. And if you want a definition of what holiness is, then go to the holiness chapter in Leviticus 19. And Leviticus 19 will tell us not to commit sexual immorality. Um, It will tell us not to engage in witchcraft. But it will also tell us don't oppress the poor. Or don't uh, create a situation where someone who's blind might get hurt. Yes, all of that is understood, right, as holiness. And holiness from Leviticus onwards, even in this psalm, is connected to the quality of relationship that we're going to have with the Lord. So don't lift up a soul to an idol, meaning an idol is anything, any created thing that gives us security or anything that gives us identity, ultimate identity, any created thing that's going to be our, you might say, our source. Oh, I got a job. I got a pension. I got a social security check. They'll never fire me from this job. Boy, do I have them fooled. My daddy's rich. He's going to leave me a lot of money. Yes. All of those, all of that false security can become an idol and swear by what is false. Okay? And then Psalm 15 completes, uh, gives us a little more of a very similar. Psalm 15, who may dwell in your sanctuary and who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does and, and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart, okay? So there's a certain integrity, yes, uh, transparency, okay? He does what is righteous, who speaks truth, who does, not, who does uh, his neighbor no wrong, who doesn't uh, gossip or... Yeah, cast a slur on his fellow man. Yes, who despises those who are vile, those who are wicked, uh, who are ugly uh, in a moral sense, um, but honors those who fear the Lord, even if they don't agree with us, or even if they don't have our doctrine of salvation exactly like we do. Maybe if they belong to another denomination. But boy, you know, what do they think about the Holy Spirit? Oh, what do they think about Israel? Well, you know, I don't have any time for them. Yes. Okay. Who keeps his oath. Right? Notice this is, these are all the way that we relate to our neighbor. Or all that we relate to each other to end the community. Right? Um, even when it hurts, who lends his money without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent, right? There's no perversion of justice. He who does these things will not be shaken. And what is God not only establishes, you know, helps us to establish what real worship is all about, Yes, and what holiness consists of. And this isn't the whole picture. This is part of the picture, and perhaps part of the picture that we sometimes uh, forget about. Yeah. But God in his goodness, yes, is also doing what in our community? Yes. He's helping us to put an end to a moral chaos. 
who wants to live in a society or who wants to live in the body of the Messiah, at least, where, yeah, we pervert justice against each other, where we gossip against each other and tear, uh, tear each other down, where we make promises to someone, yet we don't keep them. Yes, because somehow a better offer uh, comes along. Where we don't really speak the truth to people. Uh, where we slander. Where we refuse to honor people who are godly or holy. Again, even if they don't necessarily agree with us. Gosh, what kind of community would that be? It would be a community of chaos. Right? It would be a place where God isn't honored as creator and God's not honored as being holy. And instead, that community would be bring desecration to God's name and not holiness. The psalm goes on to say, Psalm 24, yes, such is the generation of those who seek him. Seeking the Lord here is right worship. Yes, I know that sometimes we have other ideas what seeking the Lord is and I don't want to dissuade anyone yes, from seeking the Lord. But seeking the Lord in this context is worship in the right way, which includes right, an ethical, moral yes, dimension, a dimension of holiness, connected to holiness um, you know, in God's people, so that we can reflect to the world yeah, exactly who God is, yes, and what it means to be holy, you know, as he is holy. Now, I think because of the time, I won't finish the verses about lifting up the gates and so on. I do want to just finish with Ephesians chapter, um, I want to make two comments, one, two comments, sorry, three, and I'll finish. One, in chapter in the first reading, we read about Michal, Michal, the wife of King David. You all know the story very well. David brings the ark into his to his palace. There's no temple yet, and David is exuberant, and he dances before the Lord uh, with a minimum amount of wardrobe. Um says that she despises him. And perhaps she had good reason to despise him. Yes? David, after all, was no saint. Uh, maybe the way that she was taken to be his wife. Maybe it was because she was barren. Maybe because she knew that uh, David sometimes said one thing and did another. Yes? So maybe she had good reason. But what's sad about the story is that because she took offense, yes, because she took offense at him, she wasn't able to come into a place of worship with a pure heart. Yes? And that's what it clean hands and a pure heart. And unfortunately, um, in her bitterness, yes, that relationship breaks up. And so we need to also be careful that also when we think about worship, right, that coming with a pure heart means that we come with the right motives. And we can never come into the Lord's presence with, uh, that, with, with uh, nursing or grudging an offense against somebody, Yes, nursing some bitterness, meaning kind of keeping it alive, feeding it, yes, or um, desiring revenge, refusing to forgive. We may struggle to forgive, but refusing to forgive, how can we then come and worship, truly worship? How can we come into that holy place, yes, and come to that holy hill? Secondly, I'd like to, just before we close, point out that the structure of a traditional service, which we're having today, follows in some ways this Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is that we praise God for being a creator, 
We praise him for his goodness, his greatness. Yes, but before, yes, we go too far into the service. Yes, we have a time of self-examination and we ask God to forgive us. Yes, we ask God to purify us and cleanse us. And hopefully more than just to forgive us, but also ultimately to transform us. So as I've said before, we don't come week after week with the same sin, right? So that we can grow in holiness or, or grow uh, in the uh, become more uh, like Jesus. Yes, true. And it's nothing that is the nature of true discipleship. Yes, and after that time of self-examination, we hear God's word. Yes, where we meet, meet the Lord in, the, in his word. And ultimately, we come to his table. Yes, but we come to his table as what those worshipers went up to the temple. Yes, in a state of purity. Yes, in a state of preparation. And our third reading... What does Ephesians have to do with this? I don't know if this was planned. Yes, I don't know if this was planned. But, you know, we, we mentioned that there is this connection. Yes, as we've seen before, between creation, the temple, a God of holiness, a God who wants to bless, and a God who wants to connect or relate and our, our book of our chapter in Ephesians, one of the most beautiful in the New Testament, um, I think includes all these things. But first, let me remind you that while there is no temple today, that Paul uh, in Ephesians, Peter in his epistle, and uh, some hints in the book of Revelation, we have the following. It says... Um, here it says, Paul says, Consequently, you, the community, are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Yes, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, yes, is joined together and rises to become what? We rise, we, the community, becomes the holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Yes, in which God lives by his spirit. And so now it's God who, yes, who's living in us. Now listen to these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done what? Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Yes, with every spiritual blessing. And it goes on to say, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Yeah, before the creation of the world. Yes, so his community, we... The community, yes, are participating in God's big plan, yes, that he had in mind before there's Adam and Eve. And what are we called to do as we participate? Are we called to be saved? Are we called to be born again? Are we called to be, you know, of a certain denomination or you know, are we, you know, are we called to be the cutting-edge evangelical church? You know, are we called to be the ones who are out there ministering to the poor? And the answer to all that is yes, yes, and more yes. But actually, here, we are called to do what? We are called to be holy and blameless in his sight. In holy and blameless in his sight. Right? That does what? It facilitates a relationship. And he goes, he goes on to say that um, in love, he predestined us to be adopted. 
And there's the relationship. There's blessing. There's holiness. The requirement of holiness. The need for holiness. And there's adoption. And Paul has to mention adoption here because he's talking to Gentiles. Right? We're being adopted ultimately into the people of God. The people of Israel. Yes. And then it ends with... Um, telling us, oh, I should go, for, remember God's goodness? Yes. And what is God predestined for us? Not that we should be holy and blameless, but also that we should do good works. Yes, and that's, at the, that's also in chapter 2. That uh, we should, uh, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Again, those good works are part of holiness. And they should never be despised. Or they should never be minimized. Say, oh, works. It's all about grace. But let's end with saying the following. It says, and you were included with Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, right? To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. That we who have been adopted, yes, who are part of God's holy temple, We're called to be holy and blameless. Yes. That our lives, yes, reflect not only who God is, but what real worship is all about. Lord, we pray that um, you will uh, speak to us through these passages, not just once, but we ask that during the week you will... um, Indeed, Lord, give us uh, the insight that we need. Lord, we pray that um, we'll have a better understanding of what it means to worship you. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we will be mindful, yes, of uh, standing against chaos, Lord. Things that bring destruction and confusion to your people to those, and to your creation. Lord, we ask that um, you would give us all that desire, a a passion, Lord, to glorify you in the way that we live, holy lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.